Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising episode. And I think this is an episode which is topical and relevant to absolutely everybody. You don't need to be in HR um, to be interested in this topic. I am delighted that a fellow practical inspiration author, Helen Beedham, has joined me today. And we're going to talk about well, your new book. Your, when, by the time people listen to this, it will be launched called The Future of Time. Helen is of Helen Beedham Consulting. She's got lots of 25 years of HR, OD experience. And I'll get you to introduce, maybe perhaps give us a bit of your background, Helen, as to how you came to um, be here in terms of this and to focus in on this topic. And then let's uh, explore your whole topic about time, time management, how we can be more effective, all those sorts of things. But a fresh look on it um, would be marvellous uh, to do on the podcast. So, Helen, welcome to the HR at Rising podcast. Thank you so much, Lucinda. Uh, thank you for inviting me to join you. Uh, really delighted to be talking with you today. Look forward to chatting about some of the topics. So just give us, because of, as you know, with the HR Uprising podcast, so although this is a topic that's relevant to everybody, we have got predominantly HR, OD, L&D listeners. Um, what, your background is similar. What, do you want to just give us a brief background and how you come to be yeah. focusing on this topic as well? Yeah, sure. So after my, I started my career in retail uh, for two years at Harrods, uh, working with one of the directors there, but quickly realised retail wasn't really for me and moved into management consulting for what is now Willis Towers Watson. And I was there for 15 years as a change management specialist leading major change programs for private and public sector organizations, uh, helping to do things like merger integration, transformation HR functions, uh, introducing new HR policies and programs. So a really strong HR element. And they were mainly- Lots of employee engagement, isn't it, Towers Watson? That's always remembering. Yeah, that's right. A lot of that as well. A lot of research side. And I specialised in organisational culture change uh, and managing change in communications, helping people to understand what leaders are trying to signal and introduce and and how to adapt to new ways of working. So I did a lot of uh, organisational culture research, for example, and uh, helping to implement new uh, mission, vision and values, as well as very practical things around HR policies and programs. So I loved that. It was great fun. I had some fantastic mentors, wonderful clients. I got to travel a lot. Uh, after 15 years, I decided 
um, not to go back after my daughter was born. She's now 10. I took a two-year career break. And then after that, I spent six years helping to grow the professional network called City Parents, where I became a director and uh, led uh, a lot of their events and client relationships with big city firms uh, for six years and chaired their conferences and hosted events, etc. So that was fantastic fun and a really interesting growing a small but very successful business. And then a couple of years ago, took the step to work for myself. So my business is Helen Beedham Consulting Limited, and I'm writing, speaking, advising on creating workplaces where everyone can flourish. So looking at both the organisational lens, how you create change, how you create environments and working practices where people can bring themselves to work in a very authentic way and really progress in their careers, whatever their background or ambitions or home life is like. Uh, and looking at the individual within that system as well and how to support them within their careers. And the yeah, as part of that, um, during lockdown, I spent all that time we were stuck at home uh, writing my business book, um, having been offered a contract by Practical Inspiration Publishing. And, and it's my first book. So that was a whole new experience, as well as the whole new experience of COVID and, and of working so um, it's been quite a, a fascinating couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. Fair play making the most of that lockdown um, to do something constructive with it. So I was thinking the topic of your book, obviously, is about time. It's about reworking time, transforming organisations. I was starting to surmise, was there a link to do with the fact of, you know, um, I suppose juggling time, the city parents thing? Is that what inspired you? What made you decide that this is the topic to focus in on when you've done all that stuff on culture? Um, yeah, yeah, good question. So I've personally had lots of different experiences of time at work. Literally, when I was in retail, I had to clock in and clock out the very old fashioned way. And your time cards were analysed by your manager each week. Uh, and I, I found myself wondering, what kind of, are they looking at that to see how productive we are? How are we measuring productivity? But I never got the answers to that. And then in management consulting, um, your time, you know, you generally, not always, but mostly invoice clients on the basis of the time you spend working on projects for them. So you have to account for your time. And I did that. We had to do that in six minute increments. So when you've you've accounted for your time every six minutes for 15 years, it's quite a hard habit to break. You don't want you don't to have lose to yourself stop. and go and look something up like I did earlier on LinkedIn to go and connect no. with somebody and realise that I would got distracted in my stream. Do you then if you can? Oh, that's no. only six minutes that I've just lost on exactly <laughs> and they don't tend to have time codes for that kind of activity no. unfortunately you have to get a bit creative you can't build that to anybody no exactly and and then as uh and I was actually one of the first people to work part-time there before my daughter was born for reasons that weren't related to childcare or for caring responsibilities it was really to um get a, a different kind of work-life balance to give me time outside of consulting to focus on some non-work things that really mattered to me so I was a bit of a kind of test bed or trailblazer in that way and then as a working parent very much conscious of that whole juggle between domestic family life uh, and work and yes you know running a professional network primarily aimed at working parents um, it was a lot of that was about helping people progress their careers but still manage time for family time for themselves time for their well-being as well 
So I guess a lot of personal experience in that, but also professionally over the years, I have conducted just enormous amounts of research and heard so many different um, employees talk about their experiences of time at work that I knew that there were kind of fundamental systemic issues around this that kept cropping up time and time again. So a couple of years ago, as the idea for the book was starting in my head, I was mulling over all of these things and talking over lunch times to my husband, who I met through work, who works in a similar field, OD and leadership. And he said, I really think you're onto something. And so I kept noodling on it and talking to people and doing a bit more research. And that really led to the shaping of the idea for the book, that actually the way we think about time and we manage time systemically is quite broken. It's not working for businesses and it's not working for individuals. And there are ways we could approach it that are much, much more beneficial. Okay, so a really fresh way of looking at time. I'm just reading the so the synopsis that I had here, which was, was about reworking time, transforming organisations by adopting 24 positive time solutions in order to build a more diverse, but diverse, engaged and productive workforce. So it sounds quite practical as well if you've got the 24 time solutions in there um, that you can you can come up with. And so I heard you talking about research um, there. How, how did you do your research for this? Yes, so for the book specifically, I conducted over 20 interviews with people in leadership roles, uh, heads of HR, diversity, inclusion, well-being, some academics, some authors who'd written other books on similar subjects like uh, or, uh, Alex Sujung Kim Pang, who wrote Shorter, which is a book about moving to a four-day working week, for example, and uh, so a lot of first-hand research that way. I also ran a survey up front um, for people I knew through my network to get their experiences, which gave me lots of great examples and anecdotes to use, even if it wasn't such a huge study that it was statistically significant. But then I also did a lot of desk research and drew on a lot of published studies as well. So inputs came from lots of lots of different ways. Brilliant. So let's, let's get into some practical takeaways then in terms of the sort of things that we can explore here. I mean, one of the terms that I wasn't sure what that necessarily meant, which perhaps is good for us to dig into, is this concept of time blindness that you refer yeah. to. Yeah. Do you want to explain a bit about that? Sure. So the, the basic premise of the book is, is that, as I said, the, the way we think about and manage time um, is not working well for individuals or for businesses. And the, this is for two reasons. Um, firstly, we tend to think about time management just in relation to the individual. We think about, you know, productivity hacks or ways to work faster, smarter, and we, we tend to very much leave it to the individual to manage their time, you know, even against a, a huge tidal wave of emails or demands from work and from outside of work as well. So, But we don't tend to think about the interconnection between people's time management, their time choices and their time habits. We don't tend to look at the big picture across teams and organisations around how we manage time. So that's one problem. The other problem is the culture that we have around time in the workplace. And this is really a subset of our organisational cultures generally. So we have a whole load of 
social norms around time that relate to the way our values, our assumptions, our beliefs, um, our habits and behaviours. And they're not always very conscious or even something we particularly pay attention to or talk about. So to give an example or two, some norms we have around time, and, and I list a few more in the book, are around busyness. We have a real cult of busyness. Um, if we're, we're looking busy, then we're looking important and productive, like we're cracking on with the important things. Um, we uh, very much emphasize the short term over the long term. There's a lot of focus on urgency and speed, 24-7 uh, availability, being very responsive. Um, and we have a very meetings heavy uh, time culture as well. Um, we also tend to be quite reactive in our time, thinking about time. We're very easily, our brains are very easily drawn into paying attention to whatever distracts us or pops into our inbox. Um, I don't know about you, but the number of times I've got up on a Monday morning and thought, right, I want to crack on with XYZ today and I'm going to accomplish ABC. And then by mid-afternoon, I've not, I realise I've been working flat out and I've not actually started on any of those things. And yet I've been incredibly busy. We tend to get into reactive mode based on what what demands are made of us um, during the that's week. things like emails and stuff where you get sucked into your inbox isn't it and and our attractiveness to sort of I, I think the um just the newness I think is it a dopamine hit that you get from having the sort of new stuff rather than necessarily the longer term important stuff yeah that's right it's the real battle between what's urgent and what's important and you're right our attention is very easily hijacked by incoming requests and demands whether that's through our inbox or whether it might be through a call with a colleague who says oh i really need your help today with x you know what we tend not to do is pause and think is that something we need to be doing now is it something i need to be involved in you know how does this link to the priorities we are focusing on um, we tend to just leap, leapfrog those conversations and get straight into action. So those are a whole load of cultural norms that we have at work, but we're not very good at paying attention to them. We just tend to plough on in the way we're used to. And that's what I call our time blindness, our lack of attention and conversation to some of these habits and social norms. And they are problematic um, you might say, well, you know, it's existed like this for years. What, why is it a problem? Why is it urgent? Why are you saying we need to deal with this? Well, I do think it's a problem. It creates all sorts of organisational defects that I talk about in the book. And it also creates barriers for individuals in terms of getting in and getting on in their career. Because this kind of time culture works well if you are somebody who whose personal life or home life setup or career ambitions or working preferences or demographic fits and that often means a close closely resembles people in the leadership positions and you are able to work in similar ways if for any reason that's not you then it can become a lot harder to get in and get on in this kind of time culture you end up having to make sacrifices that don't work for you or you get overlooked or disadvantaged in some way and so that's where the diversity angle comes in on it and I can talk a little bit more about that later if that's helpful 
So, so this is our time blindness. It causes problems for individuals in terms of having sustainable work lives, uh, being able to access as equally as other colleagues, opportunities in their career, um, good work opportunities. And it actually really affects our productivity because we end up losing so many chunks of productive working time, either jumping between calls or because we're in reactive mode um, and because we're not collectively talking enough about the real priorities that we need to divide our time up and spend on because we only have so much time in a week um, and how we're going to do that together. So that, so that's just hopefully me, explained a little bit. There. Yeah. So let me just see if I'm understanding some some of this um, back. And so and um, and I might go back to the sort of team one because that was completely new to me. Because so some of this resonates with um, the Eisen is it the Eisenhower model and what the seven habits um, cubbies sort of important uh, urgent. So aspects of this have been problems for a long time and doesn't surprise me we've not got any better at it as we've got busier we just have more of an urgency driver um in terms of that I was interested in what you were saying there about it causing sort of organizational defects and issues with the career so if I think about the cubby model I suppose I might think that spending time on development to enhance my career you know developing myself or CPD might be something that's important but not urgent and therefore I don't do it. And that would be a detriment to my career. So I can, I would think that myself, I don't know, but do you mean something different to that or in addition to that? Yeah, that's very much part of it. Um, I guess I look at it very systemically. So I look at it in terms of how do we lead organisations? How are those organisations structured and designed to help people focus on important work um, in terms of structure and processes and choice of technology and the technology we use, but also um, what kind of physical and virtual environments we create and how those help people make good use of their time and healthy use of their time. Um, I also talk a lot about all the kind of people management aspects and that relates to the deal between employer and employee that, that's on offer and what's expected in return and also HR policies and programs everything from pay and rewards learning and development career management etc so to take your example of learning and development um, yes I very much heard that through my research people saying um, learning and development is signaled as important, but actually stuff gets scheduled for, for the lunch break, which then says, actually, it's not that important. Yeah. Um, or it continually get gets training quarters back in back in, you know, face to face days, you know, something urgent would pull someone off a training course. It would always be seen as less important yeah. rather than prioritised. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I've certainly experienced that. I'm sure lots of listeners yeah. have too, that, that that's often the thing. Oh, it's only L&D. We can let that go. Or, um, but it's also uh, from a business perspective, you know, so many CEOs are saying that they need um, certain skills in the future and they're going to be relying heavily on upskilling and reskilling you know, existing employees to have the capabilities that their business needs in the future, that L&D is this huge priority for them. But I ask the question, are we, is that really being manifested in the culture at work? Are we, you know, are people seeing this prioritisation of their time in learning and development? There's a bit of a gap between what they're saying and what actually the experience is around learning and development. So what's important strategically isn't being cascaded down the organisation into how people are allowed to spend their time 
or yeah. encouraged to spend the time or being reinforced, almost the counter. So that example about being pulled off a training course. I'm interested in the people processes one as well, because I think that's an interesting one where um, people management activities are often not seen as important. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm imagining that some of the problem is people don't know what their priorities are. Um, and so whether it's goal setting or objective setting that, that um often often you see in terms of HR processes, it's all about maybe appraisal is the thing that's that's sort of pushed, but actually that's not really helping people prioritize. That's a bit too late. It's the goal setting that's which is what we really need to know what's important. And in a, a very fast changing time, like we're uh, you know, and, and like we've had as well, where things are the goalposts are moving all the time, it's even more important to keep reprioritizing and know where to spend your time. That would be a perception. That's one of the things I've talked to people about over the last couple of years working remotely. Um, is that where you're going with that or is it? Yes, yeah. absolutely. At, at, at every level, really. So at the leadership level, it's agreeing their strategic time investments, you know, thinking about time as a strategic asset. So yeah. we only have so many hours of our employees time in any given week or month or year. So what do we really want people to be focusing on and how are we getting that clearly communicated? And are we checking that people really understand that? So that's at the more strategic level. And then I think accompanying that is defining what productive means. I've been amazed at the number of organizations and people I've spoken to who say, actually, we never really describe what productive means. And if you ask any one person, it'll probably describe be described in all sorts of different ways. And, and, and often the trap we fall into is defining it in terms of time as an input. It's X hours spent on this or, you know, Y hours spent on that. It's not usually described in terms of the outcomes and outputs that people want to see um, that demonstrate something has been successfully achieved and the impact of those outcomes. So I talk a lot in the book about being becoming much more outcome oriented as an organization. And I actually, before we get into the 24 time solutions, I talk about the six traits of time-focused organizations. So what's different about organizations that do value time well? And the first trait is about being very outcome obsessed, um, where they have a really sharp focus on outcomes and leaders role model very time intelligent behaviors and that goes down to you know team manager level as well so at the team level one of the things I recommend in the book is that managers are equipped and given the skills and confidence to facilitate conversations across their teams about the priorities at the team level, about how they're going to work together to do that. And that's really through some simple kind of mutual contracting, understanding individuals' preferences, but also putting that in the context of what the team is on the hook to deliver and what successful delivery looks like. But there are ways of having that conversation that leave people feeling more engaged and motivated and sharing the common sense of, of a shared goal. Um, and I think those are good habits to get into as managers. So I, I give a few tools and examples of how to create time, sav time savvy teams in the book, how to contract with one another. So that it's very much at the team level as well. And then, yes, at the individual level, we all have a role to play in terms of how we think about in our role, our own priorities and the things we want to achieve, but also how we want to grow and develop and how we want to really role model 
certain values and behaviours to colleagues and how we can do that. Um, so there's a few checklists in the book. Managing or responding to all these multiple demands on my time and I'm perhaps got caring responsibilities outside of work or perhaps I have some health concerns or there's something else about me that, you know, puts pressure on me time-wise. Um, how do I manage all of that and think about creating really good productive healthy habits to help me be successful at work and that's that's quite holistic isn't it that whole whole person because actually the the recharging and avoiding burnout and thinking about sustainability of productivity uh, that was one of the things I was thinking so you're going into the teams bit there so maybe giving teams the skills or and it could be virtual teams now couldn't it on different time zones which is a whole extra challenge as well to to weigh into this so is that then about them um defining outputs defining ways of operating what's what are the tips for something like a, a you know a high performing time productive team yeah it, it it is about those things i think it's firstly about having creating a positive and safe environment to have the conversation in where people feel they can say what they think and what they would like and know that that is being heard respectfully and understood then it's having conversations very much about um, the objectives, the team's shared objectives, what good delivery, good performance looks like, how that's going to be measured. Um, and then it, it's having conversations about who delivers which elements, how they're going to work together to deliver that, um, understanding what people's needs and preferences are around their own working time. So why one team member might really value full time in the office and time with other colleagues perhaps they're trying to learn a complementary skill or grow their expertise in an area or to network more because they a new relatively new team member um, in some way or maybe they you know they have some caring responsibilities or a certain commute and their you know their work life they can be much more productive with a certain working pattern so it's very much about working hours and boundaries. Um, I think getting explicit um, about contacting each other outside of formal working hours and how we define formal working hours, because that itself is shifting a lot. So what are people's preferences around non-working time? One of the things I hear a lot is that uh, people are saying, well, I'm kind of doing a low level of work all the time. And I think this whole question of non-working time that's actually spent working or time at the employer's disposal is increasingly coming under scrutiny um, in the media and even going through courts as Uber, for example, found out recently. Um, so I think that's something employers are really starting to pay close attention to. And thinking about ways in which they can encourage people to be switching off, to be setting boundaries around their working time and not to let those boundaries just blur endlessly. Yeah, because that's I think that's one of the things that has come through the hybrid working, the whole sort of people being forced to work from home. Not everybody's not everybody has learned that compartmentalization skill right and and that's what you need to do probably not to burn out and need to be quite strict yeah. on it as well because you haven't got that natural sort of get on the car or you know on the train and making that that break so you have to find a way to do it of course the upside of that is that you can in theory choose to work longer days some days shorter days other days fit other things around it but you have to be able to have that paradigm I suppose take that step back and 
your whole concept of really being aware of how you're using your time yeah. um, and what's important and what's important not just for work outside of yeah. work uh, exactly so. and I describe it very much as building time awareness and doing that at individual level at team level and at leader level so becoming a time intelligent leader for example we talk about uh, IQ we talk about EQ and in the book I talk about well it's uh, it's of course time intelligent leadership or TQ it's understanding my preferences as a leader around how I spend my time and what that looks like in practice but also the impact of that on the people I lead and on my colleagues and and what signals that sends either kind of overtly or or informally and what am I setting up by way of, of a culture around this and also how I actively support and coach colleagues in managing their time not by calling meetings and, and, and asking for evidence of what they've delivered, but saying things like, oh, asking questions like, how can I help you free up your time? How can yes. I help you make best use of your time? And asking those lovely open questions that invite people to say, well, actually, here's a dilemma that I'd love to share with you. Or, you know, could you steer me on X, Y, Z? And That's I think it's a lot of those leader behaviors and conversations that would go a long way in shifting our kind of negative time culture so um i can i, I totally agree with the, the leadership piece so in terms of i suppose little takeaways for our audience that we, we could look at you mentioned there were six traits of um of an effective organization and started with being outcome obsessed as role models i think did you then say time sits at savvy teams it'd just be useful to maybe Give people a bit of a taster maybe of what those traits are, maybe just a couple of the tips um, for yeah. people as individuals. Yeah, sure. So the six traits that I mentioned earlier, uh, I'll mention them briefly now and a little bit about some of the time solutions. So the six traits were outcome obsessed with a laser sharp focus on outcomes where leaders role model time intelligent behavior. The second trait is deliberately designed to so organizations that are on a permanent quest to minimize distractions and help people focus on the important work. So that's all about the structure, processes, technology. The third time trait is actively aware. And this is about fostering healthy habits and environments that help people to do their best work. That's both physical and virtual environments. The fourth time trait is career committed. And this is organizations who invest in long-term careers before and after the length of the employment contract and, and who offer tailored time deals that really work for the individual and for the business. And the fifth time trait is called community cultivators. And this is all about social cohesion, valuing humanity and individuality, valuing well-being. It's really the culture piece here. And then the final one is expertly evolving. And this is about not just seeing working time as something that is fixed and then done and then ticked off and popped in the bottom drawer, but actually as an ongoing business challenge. So therefore, companies that do that well really prize continuous experimentation, learning and stay very open minded to adapting their ways of working. It's very much the opposite of a, right, we've ticked that box, and we can move on. <laughs> so those are the six traits. And then They're long -term I describe, focus, aren't they? I can see that whole thing yeah. is all about thinking of the long term as strategies, aren't they? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
that's right, because um, it would be easy to assume that I'm really just talking here about how we manage our time day in, day out. But I'm very much talking about the long term, how we manage you know, over somebody's whole career, how we manage businesses over the longer term, for example. Um, and so then I break each of those traits down and give lots of examples from different organizations. And I draw quite a lot on neuroscience. Um, and then I, in two chapters, I explain some of the 24 time solutions. So that's really bringing those traits to life and giving examples and saying, what are the actual things you can do differently um, that will make a difference in your organization? And they're all in an appendix at the back. So if I pick a a couple out. Um, we've talked about a couple creating a time-savvy team, and I um, offer a, a chart of, of helping people do that in the book, um, fostering time awareness at an organizational team and individual level, you know, nudging users into better digital choices, for example. So this is very much one obviously looking at technology, but looking at things like can you preset some options? Uh, in your technology that make it easier for people to make healthy choices. So, you know, if you want to click to set up a meeting, maybe there's a prompt saying, do you definitely need a meeting on this? Because we yeah. tend to default to meetings when we don't really need to. Um, likewise, you know, when you're inviting people, is it clear what role they're going to play? Um, do they absolutely need to be part of this conversation? Um, but also scheduling meetings, um, you know, do... A lot of organizations have moved to just having standard preset meeting times of 25 or 50 minutes, and you can't kind of put in hour long blocks, etc. So, you know, there are little ways we can nudge people into making healthier choices. Other ways, for example, relate more to how people use their working time. So, uh, lots of organizations are thinking very carefully about how to signal and protect. Um, deep working time for people by, for example, having an hour each day, perhaps over the lunch hour or first thing in the morning where they actively encourage people not to be on meetings um, by having fire break weekends. So meeting free Fridays and Mondays, for example, um, some organizations have gone as far as making the first week of the new year completely meeting free to help people land, get really clear on on the work that's coming up and, and get off to a really productive start. So there are certain things that, you know, organizations are doing to help people very practically make use of their time. And another thing I suggest in the book that people can do is to create a really simple toolkit. It's not rocket science, but it's maybe a list of 10 reminders that people can have close by somewhere visual on their laptop or, or near their desk about healthy habits and productive habits during the day. And those are things like um, batch processing emails rather than keeping your emails on all yeah. the time and, and nipping backwards and forwards. Um, using your peak uh, energy hours for the really important or cognitively demanding work. I know that if I've got to work on something that's taxing my brain or going to take a lot of concentration I've got to get it done first thing in the morning I'm the same so, my head has gone exactly there yeah I have afternoons yes. yes exactly at this time this is where actually we're talking about quarter to four aren't we <laughs> this is five quarter to four because it's engaging with two people but if I was writing something creating something I have to do it first thing in the morning yes. and that's not for everybody because some people actually are better yeah. at night aren't they but uh, that's my best time 
Absolutely. So knowing your peak hours really mm. helps and then trying to protect those as well. Um, and other tips such as a transition time between meetings. You know, our brain is so busy in the background processing the information and the conversation we've just had that switching immediately onto another topic is actually really quite demanding. And somebody uh, I spoke to and interviewed for the book pointed out, who's a business leader, pointed out that that can really cost us personally and professionally because say, for example, you're leading a team or a business or a piece of work. Without that transition time, just 10 minutes to process what you've just been talking about and then prepare mentally for what you're going to be talking about without that you tend to leap from one conversation to another and start it off in the wrong mode so you might have been in a meeting where you're in real problem solving mode um, collaboratively and everyone's throwing out solutions and ideas and brainstorming but then you might jump straight into a conversation where perhaps it's a mentoring conversation and you're a mentor for someone and what you really want to be in is listening inquiry yeah. mode but you're still functioning and running fast on you know problem solving mode so you might inadvertently be still carrying over those behaviors and by the time you've realized it's really you know a bit that is a bit of diary management to have that awareness isn't it because it's, it's building in that time to reset the other thing on that that I think just purely practically if you go from one meeting to another and, and I don't let's say you need to write up quality notes or you need to um, pass something on or communicate something to somebody or, or send out something um, that you could do if you did it in that half hour after that meeting if you did it immediately it'll take you 10 minutes if you leave it till the end of the week you've it's gone rusty. I mean, I have it when I'm talking to customers. If I do a series of demos and I'm going, hang on, who said that to me or training? You know, you, you're not sure which conversations all merge into each other. So it is much more effective, actually, to do it while it's fresh, close it down, close those those loose ends and then move on to the other one. And, and in the meantime, reset your style or whatever's needed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a few a few snippets from the book that um, might be useful, and there's a lot there's a lot I talk about as well specifically for HR managers and leaders about you know what better ways of managing time exist in terms of resourcing. I talk a bit about time bias, so how people are inadvertently disadvantaged through resourcing processes um, because they. There are certain groups of people who don't get the same kind of access to good work opportunities or kind of projects that are going to be career enhancing or who, who get, you know, over time, less time with uh, senior colleagues or people that can really act as sponsors and mentors for them. So that's a, a little example around yeah. resourcing Building and around how, people. yeah. And how to use the, you know, performance management discussions and what companies are doing nowadays. It's quite innovative around those end of year reviews that you were mentioning at the beginning. Making sure that you get the right stuff. In and, and maybe, and, and again, it's when you do these conversations. So there's, there's loads of things that we could talk about here, Helen. But maybe people should get your book to be able to go into more detail. But it sounds very practical as well. So you saying you've got checklists and tool things in there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, as a reader of business books and books generally, um, I, I love books that really get into explaining you know, a problem and provide lots of evidence around that. So it is quite an evidence-based book, but hopefully a fairly light and enjoyable read. But it was really important to me to 
try and provide the answer as far as I could, or, or my view of the answer based on speaking with different people and, and doing my research. I hate it when a, a book has 11 chapters of the problem and a, and a kind of very short chapter 12 on the solution. Yeah. So, so the second, and there are three parts to the book. Part one is what's the problem? What's wrong with our time culture? Why do we need to fix it? Part two is at a high level, what a better ways of managing time looks like. And then part three is actually time to act, how to go about changing the time culture in your organization. What the strategies, the timelines, some tips and tools are for doing that. And then, yes, there's some quite comprehensive appendices with lots of tools in there, diagnostics, tools for assessing your time culture, and, and tools for managers, leaders, and individuals to manage their time and their team's time well, to prioritize, for example, to contract with one another, for example. Brilliant. So um, it's out on, well, for listeners, it will have been out a couple of weeks ago, um, but it's out on the 28th of February. Is that, is that right, Helen? That's right. Yeah. The ebook launches on the 28th of February, and the, it's out in paperback the following day on the 1st of March. Fantastic. What a great day to kick off. So I wish you lots of luck with the launch. Um, If people want to get hold of you, Helen, and link with you or find out more about what you do, your consulting, how do they find you? Uh, Thank you. I've got a website, www.helenbeedham.com, which uh, lists all my writings and speakings and talks I give, for example. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn at Helen J. Beedham, and I'm on most social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and I have a YouTube channel with some of my short talks and videos the podcast on there as well brilliant well thank you so much for joining the hr uprising um today helen that's really good food for thought some good refreshing ideas and i really like the way um we've got in some really strategic areas in which hr can do it how we can be more holistic about things as opposed to thinking about time management as something just an individual does thinking about it something we all share that responsibility of i've just realized you mentioned a four-day week which i thought was topical i have to save that for another day i'm still interested in that one um but we'll, we'll leave it there for now so thank you so much for joining pleasure thank you so much for inviting me i really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.